because you know the rest of us are, right? Who here is ready to hear a fresh word from God, some fresh revelation, right? Well, that's, a, that, that's down at the Presbyterian Church. You're going to hear a message from me. Yeah. <laughs> Which it probably is, right? Yeah, we're expecting it. Um, so this morning we'll be continuing our message series, Elevate. Um, right? We're, we're learning all about this world that has fallen due to sin. And you don't have to look very far to see that reality. Just take a look in our culture and our world and you'll see um, just how, you know, the, the Bible describes sin as depravity. Just how depraved the human condition can become without uh, the life that the Spirit gives. But, but because of this fallen world that we live in, daily we face opposition. Various opposition of varying degrees from varying sources. I mean, whether it's a physical illness or just uh, your own, you know, voice discouraging you, telling you you can't do it. Uh, you, know, you know, finances, you've got bills that are coming in, you have not enough to pay for them. Whatever the opposition may be, we all face Many oppositions of different uh, kinds and severities. However, we're being encouraged through this series that we never face them alone, right? Jesus invites us to rise up above them. He is everything we need. He is the creator of everything. I mean, he has the answer. He has the solution. It's waiting for us. And he invites us to be elevated and to rise up above all of our opposition to be seated with him in heavenly places. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 10 teaches us this. And I'm reading from the NIV this morning. I keep changing up the translation. Just to, I, I love to do that because we, we, we get to know the word better that way um, without doing in-depth word studies. And it, it reads this way. Since then, you have been raised. Okay, right? Past tense. This isn't when you kick the bucket or get raptured home. You have been raised with Christ. Therefore, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. And he's seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds, our hearts and our minds, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died. We talked about that in water baptism, right? You died and you've been raised again in new life. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And oh, what a glorious day, right? We're going from glory to glory, ever increasing in our faith, ever embracing our new life and getting rid of that old life. We are constantly being renewed by the Holy Spirit within us. But this morning, what we're going to learn to elevate is exactly what Colossians 3 just taught us. We're going to learn how to elevate our hearts our hearts and our minds, really, essentially. Because there are so many different hearts that exist out there, right? There are prideful and arrogant hearts that just look down on people. They think there's something, and, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of them in the church, right? There's a religious attitude mindset that I'm better than you, I'm right, you're wrong, you know, that look down on people. Um, Jesus talked about the person who, uh, you know, who prayed. One's like, you know, beating his chest and, God, forgive me for who I am. I'm so sorry for what I've become and decisions I've made. The other one's like, thank you, Lord. I'm not like that, dude. That's pathetic, <laughs> you know. Whose prayer got heard and answered, right? The humble one, because that's what we all are. Their broken hearts have been pierced by so many hurts and griefs in life. So hurt by people over and over and over again, right? Just, just hurt and heavy. There are heavy hearts that are burdened down by worries and anxieties and cares. You know, the, the, the big question of what if? But what if this and what if that? You know, and anxiety just goes through the roof. It just weighs down and burdens the heart. Um, there are hardened hearts that hate. And you're seeing that in this country, right? You know, people just hate other people for whatever reason, for their, their gender, for their, for their um, you know, their, uh, their, their skin color, race. That's what I was looking for. Hate you because you're a cop. Just go up and start shooting you just because you're a cop for no other reason, right? I mean, there's so much hate in this world today on every side of the fence. Hardened hearts that are just evil and hateful. There's lustful hearts that just always want more, 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 right? Not just in a sexual sense, but in every sense. Just lusting for the things of this world. And you're just never satisfied. And you always want what you can't have. You know, and then there's hearts that doubt. That just can't trust people. They've been let down so many times. And they can't trust God either. I mean, there's so many different heart conditions out there. And I could go on and on and on. But there's also compassionate and generous hearts. 
that genuinely love God and love people. People just, they wear their heart on their sleeve and they just are who they are. And, and you know, and all of their, their strengths and weaknesses, their, their successes and their failures. And, and they just, um, you know, they just love the world. Most of our hearts consist of a mix of any one of those things and probably all of them to some degree, right? All of us have one of those heart conditions in some area of our lives, man. You know, we probably look like Frankenstein if you really look at the condition of our hearts. You got some hard places, you got some really soft places, you got some places that are bleeding that need healing. You know, you've got just, we're, we're a wreck. <laughs> we are a mess, aren't we? You know, let's be honest here, right? So, What we're looking at this morning, and when we talk about the heart, and when the Bible refers to the heart, we have to understand that, you know, in the Eastern world during those ancient times, you know, they they literally believed that the heart was not just the center of our physical body, that they they weren't just physically the the center that pumps everything that, you know, that we know medically now is true, uh, everything in our body. They also believed that they were sort of like our soul. Sometimes that word is equated, uh, that the heart consisted of like our mind, will, and emotions. And I love this quote from Timothy Keller, and he's he's an American theologian. He said, what the heart most wants, and the mind finds reasonable, the will finds doable, and the emotions find desirable. You know, that's sort of what our, our hearts are. They're the core of who we are. They really are the essence of who we are. Now, we know that that doesn't lie in the physical heart, right? Because I know people have had heart transplants, and they didn't grab the soul of that other person, right? So we know that that's not, not true. But oftentimes, the, the Word of God also, um, as we just read in Colossians, talks not only about the heart, but of the mind. Our heart our, our, you know, consists of sort of our, our will, our emotions, our our thoughts, it's the core of who we are, um, you know, and, and, and some, some parts of our hearts are wounded in need of healing, some parts are hardened, and man, do they need plowed up from the Lord or replaced. Um, you know, some parts of our heart are just out of control, they're just free spirits that need rain back in a little bit, you know, and, and some of them are perfectly healthy and prosperous. We, we all have these different heart conditions. Um, now, there's a cliche saying out there, right, that encourages us to follow our hearts. Isn't that common advice out there? We even have songs about it, you know, listen to your heart. You know, if you're an 80s person, I think it was an 80s song, I don't know. It's before my time, it's all I know. Um, you know, there's, there's all these songs and sayings out there that teach you. And, and, you know, we've got even, and it sounds like good sound advice, right? Follow your heart. Whatever your heart's leading you to do, that's what you need to just chase after, right? Just chase after your, the longings of your heart. In fact, I believe, wasn't it even uh, Nathan who came to David? And didn't and Nathan say, yeah, whatever, whatever you set your heart to, you do that. And the Lord's like, hey, over here. <laughs> Before you go giving prophetic words and giving the, the okay to the king of my nation, why don't you consult me first? Because, uh... That's not what I have for him. Yeah, it's what's in his heart, but that's not my will for him, right? Our hearts. The Bible teaches us something differently about our hearts, different than the world does. The Bible doesn't teach us to chase after whatever our heart longs for. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 uh, to 23, he said this, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's own heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside a person's heart, and that is what defiles them. Now, we know well enough that those aren't things we want to be chasing after, right? We don't want to follow those things. So we don't want to follow our hearts, not by any means. I mean, Jesus said all those things, all those evils, they come from within our hearts. That's where they start. Our actions, outwardly, always start with the heart and with the thoughts inwardly. That's why how does the, the Holy Spirit transform and renew us? From the inside out. You don't put on a mask acting like you're something and changing your deeds. You get changed from the inside out. Your deeds follow. Those are fruits of your life. God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, and he said this in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. I think in the King James Version, it says that it is sick without a cure. Who can understand it? Your heart is a sick thing. It's an evil, wicked thing. You don't want to go chasing after it. 
Because you know what it'll do? It will, as, James, as Jeremiah just taught here, it will deceive you. And I'm sure that if I held the microphone and we went around and around and around, you would hear testimony after story after story of times when you chased after your heart. What your heart's desire was really set out to, and your heart got broken, and you got let down. Stories of falling in love with a person, only to find out they weren't really who you fell in love with. They were a much different person than who they were showing you. Times when you trusted a friend, and they betrayed you, and they gossiped about you, and they backstabbed you, right? Stories of giving sacrificially to help somebody in need, only to find out that they were never in need to begin with, right? Right? We have all those stories. Our heart betrays us. Our heart leads us astray. Um, we have another cliche saying that, that we use to justify somebody's actions, somebody's wrongdoings. And we say, eh, you know what? Their heart was in the right place. <laughs> you know, whenever Christians hurt other people over and over again, you're like, well, you just got, their heart's in the right place. You've got to understand, you know, they've got a good heart. Do they really? Do they really? If the fruits of their lives are producing those things, is it really a good thing? And that's the thing that's so confusing. And we talked about this in Bible study, actually, uh, with the book of James about works and deeds. You can do the best deeds. You can be so kind and generous towards somebody. And I've seen this happen with Christians before. You know, you do all these sacrificial and kind things to somebody, but the person really doesn't want to receive any of those things. And do you know what we call that in the world when you're loving somebody who doesn't want it? Rape! <laughs> Christian rape, you know? Your kind, generous deeds, they're not loving if the person doesn't want to receive them, okay? Ask first, hey, would it be all right if I did this for you? If they say no, they said no, okay? <laughs> Don't do it. It's not going to be It's not going to be received as an act of love. It's not going to be appreciated. It's not going to lead people to Christ, it actually drives people away from him when, when you force your good deeds on people. Because what gets questioned here is why. It's the motive of the heart. Why are you doing good deeds? And that's really the core of the issue here, as we're going to find out this morning. Why are we doing these things? Because the question is, okay, if our heart is wicked and evil, if all these nasty things come from it, as Jesus just taught us that they do, then how are we supposed to respond? If we're not supposed to follow our heart... And even when our heart leads us to good things that may not be good things, then, then what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? Well, there's a few different verses and scriptures here that teach us what we're supposed to do. First of all, um, we've heard this many times. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We are told above all else to guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. And that, that backs up what Jesus taught in the New Testament that everything that you do comes from your heart. It's not what you put in your body, because he was getting questioned about not washing his hands before he ate. Jesus is like, you're missing it. It's, it's not about what you put in your body that makes you spiritually clean or unclean, even though there's a lot of Old Testament scripture that kind of backs that, that mindset up. Rather, it's what comes out your mouth, because what comes out your mouth comes from the heart, and what comes from the heart is who you truly are. And everything in life that you do flows from our hearts, that core of who we are. So we're supposed to guard them. Though our hearts may be deceitful and lead us astray, our hearts aren't really evil in and of themselves. Our hearts have the potential to possess good and evil. But because we are born into sin, they are born with all these nasty things inside that we got to get rid of. We need to have a purge day, right? We need to purge our hearts and allow them to be clean, cleansed. It's, it's the, the blood of Christ, right, that, that, that cleanses our hearts and minds, that purifies us. He's the only one that can do it. But we need to guard our hearts. We need to do our part. We're going to, well, yeah, the teens are going to learn that, you know, what I'm teaching tonight has a little bit to do with this. You need to filter what comes in your life because what comes in your life goes into your heart and it shapes and defines who you are. So we need to guard them. Be careful what our eyes see, what our ears hear, right? We need to be careful of those things because they help shape and form our hearts. We have to be on our guard of what we allow into them and what we allow to grow. When you see a weed starting to grow up in your heart, you know, envy, lewdness, whatever it may be, all those things Jesus listed, pluck that thing out and get rid of it. You got to be a good gardener of your heart, right? You got to be careful what you plant. 
And you've got to be careful what you leave grow in there. You've got you've to prune it at times, right? To get rid of those things that don't belong. Because the reason God created us with a heart at the core of who we are is so that we could do this. And if there's not enough scripture verses to back that up. He created us with hearts in order that we may love the Lord our God with all of our heart all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and to love others as we love ourselves, right? That's what our hearts were created to do, to love God and to love others. But they have the potential. Anything that has the potential to be good has the potential to do evil. My hammer, it has the potential to build something up great, and it has the potential to slaughter hundreds of people, right? It's all in how you use it. (laughs) God gave you a heart. It's up to us to allow him to do something good with it and to get rid of all that evil, wicked stuff that we were born into it with. So we are not to follow our hearts. Rather, we are to guide our hearts, right? I love this image. That should be a picture of you in your heart. You're not following it. You're guiding it. You're directing it. You're telling it what it ought to be. When those thoughts and those feelings rise up, you're like, no, 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 no. This is how we're going to handle this situation, okay, heart? <laughs> you know, you need to have a little pep talk with it sometimes. You lead it, and you guide it, and you guard it. Um, we allow our hearts to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's up to us. It's a choice. We guard them from things that will not produce good fruits. And with all of our hearts, we choose to love God and to love others. Because God's solution for the heart condition that we were born with uh, was simply... To give us a new one. His solution was to give us a new heart. And we read this uh, scripture several times in Ezekiel. God promises to do this. God says, I will give them an undivided heart. Remember the, the different heart conditions that we have? Our heart is so divided, so broken, so damaged, so in need of renewal. So God just takes it out and plops in a new one, right? He said, I will give them an undivided heart. I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And now that we live in the New Testament, we understand the full revelation of how God fulfilled this prophetic word. It was through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit within is what creates within us an undivided heart. It's the Holy Spirit that removes that heart of stone and gives us a compassionate heart of flesh. It is the indwelling of the Spirit. That's the Spirit that God gave us. When he said he was going to put a new spirit in them, he gave us the Holy Spirit, his very presence, to dwell within our lives. He, He cohabitates with our hearts at the core of who we are. And we allow him to transform and renew our hearts into a new creation. After one of David's greatest moral failures in life, the the situation with Bathsheba and killing her husband, he wrote this in Psalm 51. He cried out to God and he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God. He realized that the sins that he had just committed happened for one reason only. Because he followed his evil, wicked desires in his heart. He saw Bathsheba taking a bath and she looked dang good, right? And then after he screwed up and she's pregnant, he's like, oh, what am I going to do? Okay, send him to the front lines. Kill him off and I'll marry her. That'll make it right, right? Since when did two wrongs ever make a right? Ever. Ever. You don't, you don't take two negatives and add them or multiply them and get a positive result, right? I mean, if math teaches us anything, let it teach you that. Two wrongs do not make a right. And so David realizes this, and and when he comes to his senses, and when he chooses to repent, he cries out to God, and he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. And just like David, you and I can cry out to God in the same way. If you've never prayed the scriptures, especially the Psalms, I encourage you to do that. This is a prayer of David. Go home, get in your prayer closet, and pray Psalm 51. And see how it can transform your life. So often we ask God to to clean up 
messes and to forgive us for things that we do, but we never deal with the root issue, right? The same way that we do in the natural world. We go to doctors and we're like, give us a pill to cover up this symptom. I don't want to have these symptoms anymore. And more often than not, the doctor's like, okay, but let's get to the root of the issue. What's the actual problem? What's your dietary life like? What's your active, you know, how active is your lifestyle? You know, let's get to the root of the actual issue. And that's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to just forgive our sin and cover it up. He wants to give us a new heart so that the desires of our, our, our heart change. So that we hunger and thirst for Him and for righteousness. And that we no longer hunger and thirst for the things of this world chasing after them. Because He knows those only lead to heartache. But following Him and pursuing Him leads to true abundant life. A blessed life, a prosperous life. It's our choice, however, whether to give God all of our hearts or just a part of our hearts, or whether we just put the guard up to God altogether and say, "Mm -mm, I'll worship you, but you can't have any of this. Isn't that an issue that God dealt with often in the the, uh, Word of God? These people, they come near me with their lips. I'll worship you, I'll praise you, I'll even preach your Word. But their hearts are far from me. And so when God's people joined together for worship and for feasts and for festivals, what did God say? I loathe it. I hate it. I despise it when you get together and do what I told you to do. Why? Because your hearts are far from me. You're doing it, but you're not doing it for the right reason. You're not doing it for the right purpose. You're missing it completely. I want your heart, not your obedience. I want your heart, not your sacrifices. He wants a relationship with us. He cares about us. So much so that he put his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. That's how much he wants to just be with us, even in our messed up you know, reality that we are. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This is from the uh, English Standard Version. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Those who have a pure heart. Now, the only way for our hearts to ever be pure is to hand them to God and let Him do His work. We can never clean up our hearts on our own. You can never do it. It's just impossible But through Christ, our hearts can be transformed and renewed, brand new hearts. And when we have those pure hearts, when we've been renewed and transformed by the Holy Spirit, we will begin to see God everywhere. You'll begin to see the miraculous in your everyday mundane life and routines. You will see the blessings of God everywhere you go. You will see God when you've allowed him to do that. When we sense his presence with us all through life's ups and downs. A pure heart sees God and leads us to a fruitful life. With good fruits of the spirit, not not the fruits of the flesh. And so now we're going to turn. And if you want to get ahead of me here in Jeremiah 17. We quoted earlier where Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things. Now we're going to get to the full context of, of what God is speaking here. God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 5 through 10 here. And it starts out so that we're clear. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. You know, sometimes we're completely ignorant to where the compass of our heart is pointing. Sometimes we don't even know the condition of our heart. We have no idea where it's going and where it's heading. We need to fix our eyes on Christ and set the compass of our heart toward him, right? Cursed is the one whose heart turns away from the Lord. In verse 6, that person, they'll be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity even when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But, and remember, buts are big in the Bible. But blessed, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. 
They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Remember we learned about those roots last week? The roots grow before anything is seen, before any fruits are displayed. Our roots determine the rest of our lives. They send out their roots by the stream. That tree doesn't fear the heat when it comes. Its leaves are always green. And it has no worries in a year of drought. And it never fails to bear fruit. And so again, God lays a choice before us. Every day, every decision that we make is a choice. Am I going to be saved or am I going to reject my salvation, right? Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust then, well... I think this is best. I think this is what I ought to do. Are we going to trust our own thoughts, our own heart, our own opinions? Or are we going to trust God and what he says and what he has promised? Which are we going to trust? Because there is life and death. And there is curses and blessings depending on how we choose. You know, he he clearly teaches here in Jeremiah that um, one way leads to famine, even though prosperity exists everywhere else. The other way leads to a fruitful life, no matter what our circumstances are. What ought we look like as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is that tree beside the streams, right? We ought to have deep roots that are firmly planted in the Holy Spirit, in those springs of life that never fail to produce, Right? And you know how you can tell whether someone's living that life or not? Look at the fruits of their life. Jesus taught us that it is by a person's fruit that you can judge them. You can know whether they're rooted in the Lord or whether they're rooted in the flesh. And, 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 and I say this in, in the most loving ways. The first place that we need to be looking to judge those fruits is right here. Okay? Okay. Point to your own self, right? Get rid of that splinter in your own eye before, or that plank in your own eye before you worry about the splinter in someone else's. We need to be fruit inspectors in our own lives. Am I patient or do I fly off the handle in fits of rage, right? Am I gentle or am I like, seriously, again, are we dealing with this, you know? Which are we? That'll tell you where your relationship with the Lord is right now, right? The fruits of your life. The Lord then continues speaking to Jeremiah in verse 9. And we just read this earlier. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Don't follow your heart. Don't use your heart as a judge. Okay? you got to guide and direct and let the Spirit transform that heart. It says, who can understand it? Then he says in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct according to what their deeds deserve. Because you see, it's not the things that we do, it's not the masks that we wear that catches God's attention. In fact, Jesus said it this way. We're going to go back to that verse, but Jesus said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And this is the paradox that we catch in the kingdom of God. Yes, we get judged according to our deeds and according to what we do. But that's not the whole truth. That's only half the truth. Because listen to what Jesus says here. He says, many on that day of judgment will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? Jesus said, then I will plainly tell them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoer. Wait a second, he's, that person did everything that Jesus was telling us to do. Man, casting out demons, miracles, getting people saved. They were doing everything right. But they weren't doing everything right, rightly. You're doing the right things, but where is this? Why were you doing it? What is your heart motive? We go back to Jeremiah, right? It says that the Lord will search our heart and mind. And reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. It's not, the deeds are secondary, the heart is primary. That is what we get judged by. You can do all the right things and stand before Jesus and tell him all the awesome things you did in his name and still end up in hell. You can sit your butt in a church every Sunday morning and tell people about Jesus every day through the week, lead countless people to Christ. And completely miss out on heaven yourself. Because why are you doing it? 
to earn your salvation? Jesus, look what I did. I was awesome. Or are you doing it because of your salvation? Because if you're doing it because of your salvation, you take no credit at all. Lord, look at what you were able to do through my life. Look at what you did, Jesus, right? The heart motive. Do you really love people? Is that why you're doing good deeds? Are you good, doing good deeds just to catch God's attention and to look like you're something? Or to catch man's attention and to look like you're something, right? Do you have to prove to everyone you're a Christian by doing a bunch of good deeds in front of people? Jesus, are you're not a Christian then. Just be who you are. Love people because you love people, whether people see it or not. It doesn't matter. Do good to people because God's done good to you, right? He gave up his only son. He gave up everything for you. What is our heart motive? Because that is what the Lord judges. That's how the Lord judges your deeds. Not necessarily what you did, but why you did them. What was your motive? What was your purpose? Jeremiah teaches exactly that, that interesting concept. That the Lord rewards our conduct and our deeds by examining our heart and mind. He rewards the good things we did by examining our heart and mind. Not looking at the works, looking at the heart. Now when you look at a person doing good deeds, I don't know why they're doing it. You don't see their heart. The Lord alone sees their heart unless he reveals it to you through the Spirit. And he will do that from time to time. Show you the motive behind somebody's deeds. The Lord alone knows that. Outward appearances, it looks exactly the same. You could clap somebody and hold them up as an example of you need to live like this. You know, you need to be more like this person. They're doing awesome things, but are they really? Where's their heart? What is their motive? Are we living to earn our salvation or are we living as a result of our salvation? Cart, horse, which one do we have first? Okay, one way is pretty effective and, and fruitful, right? You get that cart before the horse, it can go places. You put that cart in front of the horse and try to get the horse to push it, they don't cooperate very well. You know, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to use Nate's example again. He hates this, absolutely hates it, you know, but yeah. You're pushing, I, I can't remember what we were doing, but you know, pushing uh, uh, something. And I'm like, hey bud, try pulling it instead. That's so much easier, you know, right? You know, so much easier. When we get that right, deal with your heart. Everything else will flow from it. You get your heart right, you don't have to force yourself to do good deeds. It's just going to happen. You don't have to muster up the, oh, I don't feel like doing this, and oh, i got everything in the world to do, and I'm so busy, and everything's so hectic. But I'll do it anyways, because that's what God told me to do, you know? Versus, you just do it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to, you know, muster up the, 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 uh, the strength and whatnot to do it. Um, Here's something that makes it extremely clear, um, and there's many scriptures about this issue. But it is doing things with the right heart and with the right motive that catches God's attention. It's not what you do, but why you're doing it. That's what perks God's ears up, and that's what brings blessing and abundance. Um, we're going to turn, if you'll turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Most all of us know this testimony. It's a familiar account, uh, but it really drives home this, this point. Um, at one point, God asked the prophet Samuel... How long he's going to mourn over God's rejection of Saul as king of over Israel. Because God was ready to move on. And I think in all of our lives, God's ready to move on. He, he is calling us from the future. You know, let go of the past, move forward. Because that's the only direction. If we don't understand that, I mean, look how time moves. Nobody can go back to yesterday and change what you did or how you did it. The only thing you can change is what happens today and tomorrow. He's always future-minded. He's always worried about where you're heading, not where you've been. Everything where we've been is forgivable and move-onable. Okay, we need to move-onable. We need to get there. We need to move on in life. And so he, he challenges Samuel with this. He's like, just come on. Get through this morning season so we can make things happen here. We got good stuff waiting for us. Stop moping around like Eeyore and let's move with it. You know, so he sends, um, he sends Samuel off to anoint the next king. And, and God sends him to Jesse's home. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 through 7, you know, Samuel comes and he sees. And it says that when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed who stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height because I've rejected him. 
As if Samuel didn't learn that from Saul. I mean, he stood ahead above everybody else, you know. And Samuel still didn't get it. He was still judging by appearances. So the Lord spoke to Samuel, don't consider his appearance nor his height because I've rejected him. Because the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And of course, we know that it was David out there in the fields tending his flock. The one that was rejected by man. You know, Jesse didn't even bring him in to be considered as king. You know, he's he's sheep boy, you know, that's his job. Um, But God doesn't look at those things. He looks at the heart. Because there is coming a day of judgment, even for believers, when our hearts are laid bare before the Lord, as they already are. And he judges and he rewards our deeds. And it's not about what you did, it's about why you did it that matters to him. On that day, that is the measure of our success and the measure of our reward. It is none other than the motive of our hearts. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. And we need to have the same attitude and mindset. Paul said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. You may think you've been living your life right, and you may think you've been doing the right thing. Just because your conscience by your heart is clear doesn't make you innocent. He said, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes. He alone will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he alone will expose the motives of the heart. And only at that time will each one receive their praise from God. I can't make it any more black and white from the scriptural accounts. It is the motive of our heart that the Lord judges. If you're doing the right thing with the wrong heart, and I'm standing before you as your leader, I've already told you I'm going to be going and getting some help here because I think I've been doing what the Lord's calling me to do, but my heart isn't where it ought to be in it. And I don't want to miss out on the, I'm just going to be selfish. I don't want to miss out on my reward. I don't want to run and labor and sacrifice in vain and lose it in the end. I want to have the right heart. I want to sincerely love God and love people. I want that to be the motive for everything I do in my life. And as a follower of Christ, that should be your desire as well. It's not about doing good deeds. It's about doing them for the right reason. Because you genuinely love God and love people. No matter what those people are like, no matter what those people have done to you, you genuinely love them. That's your, you want to talk about some serious cha-ching on the day of judgment? You want to talk about some serious reward? Love the unlovable. That one that just slapped you in the face, be like, okay, hey, right here, have at it. What, you want to steal my my jacket? Hey, I don't really care for this shirt. Here, it's yours, you know? You want to force me to walk a mile? Hey, That place looks a little more scenic. Let's go another one, right? That's where the blessing is. That's where the reward is. And guess what? That's where people's hearts turn to the Lord. When you bless those who curse you, it catches their attention. People don't just do that. You're either clinically insane or Jesus is for real. One or the other, it catches people's attentions. The motives of our heart. They are clearly revealed when you do what only God can enable you to do. Because in your flesh, you would have killed them already, right? <laughs> you, you catch people's attention when your motives are exposed through those good deeds done with the right heart and the right motives. And it has nothing to do with your conscience and how innocent you think you are and how right you think you are. Self-righteousness is nothing in the kingdom of God. Self-righteousness gets condemned to hell But his righteousness, it gets you into heaven and gets you some reward. So how do we do it? How do we develop a godly heart? This is the whole message, and it's the easiest, simplest part. How do we develop a godly heart? How do we get a pure heart? How do we do things with the right heart motive and not get such hardened hearts? Life is hard. People are jerks. People will betray you and hurt you and cut you deep. And it is very hard 
not to get a hardened heart as a result. There's a lot of parts of this heart that need cleaned out right now. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you here, you know. How do we do it? Our heart becomes transformed as we do this, as we just simply seek God. It's really that simple. When you start seeking after God and start pursuing Him, your heart changes. I, you, you just can't do it. You can't honestly, actively pursue God and not have your heart changed and transformed. As we pursue God and as we get to know Him through a healthy relationship, our hearts become more like His. It just naturally happens. David had a heart after God's own because of all the quality time that he spent pursuing God and trusting Him. And we have account after account after account. When David, all of his men were telling him, do it, do it, do it. Slice his head off, you know. Like, like, you know, he was telling, and, and David's like, you know what? I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm chasing after God right now. And I'm too busy chasing after God to care about who's chasing me. <laughs> he was so fixed and set on chasing and pursuing God. You know what he was doing out in the, in the fields when, when, uh, when Samuel came to anoint the next king? Not he was out there serving his family, doing a job that no one else wanted to do. Man, he was praising God. He was worshiping God. He had such quality time with the Father. And that's why he had a heart that chased after God's own. David was in love with God. Are you in love with God? When you're in love with your spouse, think about the things you sacrificed and didn't even think about it just because you loved them and you wanted to pursue them and you wanted a relationship with them. Does your pursuit with God look the same? Do you have those evening pillow talks? You hang up. No, you hang up, you know, or whatever they do on Snapchat now. I have no idea, you know. <laughs> do you have those times with God when you just don't want that? You know you got to get someplace, but you just don't want that time to end. You're just so in love with him, so in awe of him. This love that David has was deep and sincere. And I'm telling you, it wasn't just mushy, emotional like it was when you chased your spouse. The love of God was a sacrificial commitment. And it was that pure and godly pursuit that David had that gave him a heart that chased after David's, or that, a heart that chased after God. That godly heart enabled him to tear apart lions and bears with his own hands. It is not a mushy, cushy kind of love. When that bear came chasing down his sheep, David's like, oh, no, you don't. He went running. He met him. He wrestled with it. And he killed bear with his bare hands. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's love right there. <laughs> you got to really love them sheep. I'd be like, Mah, here, go, you know. <laughs> you got to really love those sheep to put yourself you want to talk about guarding your heart. You want to see that scripture the way you've never seen it before. Picture little David and that bear. He guarded his sheep the way that you ought to guard your heart. The way that you ought to pursue and love the Lord your God with your everything. To the point that you're willing to lay your whole life on the line for the sake of the lost one. The one that the enemy is tormenting. That you are willing to be like Christ and to sacrifice it all for the sake of someone else. That's a pure godly heart and that's what David had. This was not a mushy, emotional, girly Hallmark Channel thing. This is more like, you know, the, the, what is it, the... the, this, the down on the channel where it's all those creeps that chase after people, you know, that he defends, you know, against those things. It was a devotion and admiration that equipped him, first of all, when he was a little boy to slay the lion and bear. But then he stood before Goliath, a giant that caused an whole army to shudder in their armor. And he stood there and he's like, I don't need no stinking armor. It just gets in my way. All I need is a couple stones, you know. And, and, and let's not do the PG, you know, we, the way we teach it back in children's church. I, I always taught this account in children's church, and I never stopped where, where the group publishing book had you stop. I went on where he sliced Goliath's head off and went parading through the town, you know. That is what the love of God looks like. 
My enemy is nothing because I rise above every opposition. Nothing will speak badly of my God on my watch. My heart will never allow anything evil or wicked to rise up. I'm going to slay it. I'm going to get rid of it. And I'm going to put it on parade. I'm proud of it. This thing used to have a hold of me. But look at it now. Look at it now. There's nothing you can do. You can't touch me, right? You know, you, you, you overcame. You rose above. You were elevated by Jesus who gives you the ultimate victory in all things. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. It was this deep love for God that enabled David to lead his people into battle after battle to destroy the opposition and to become the man that he was. Why? Because he shepherded God's people the way that he shepherded those sheep. Don't ever despise small things that God has you do. Don't ever despise things that are small to man. Because David was faithful in the way that he shepherded his father's flock. David was elevated. David was risen above. And he was enabled to shepherd the heavenly father's flock. That's the opportunity before us. That's the choice before us. Greatness awaits each and every one of us in some way. If we would just stop moping around, complaining and whining in life and rise up above the opposition. If we would be like David and just has a heart, chases after God. You would rise above all of your opposition and you'd be given a place of authority over the enemy. In your life, in your family life, in your friend's life, in your community's life, right? That's how discipleship happens in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Start little. Start in your own life. Start on your own plank. Then next thing you know, you're a splinter remover and a powerful one, one that can't be stopped, right? If we just get our hearts right. It's not just about the reward that we receive when we stand before the throne of Christ on that day. Because he will judge the motives of our heart. That's the degree of our reward. It's less about us and our reward. And it's more about the lost sheep that Jesus gave his life for. That the enemy's having a field day with. That's what should break our hearts. That's what should cause us to want to rise up and pursue God in my own life. So that I can overcome and invite people to come along with me to be overcomers as well. So that they would see and know who God is when they see my life. Not that it's perfect, but they've seen my failures. They've seen my struggles. They've heard my heart that whined and complained. But they heard me also stand on the promise. They've heard me also say, but God. They've heard me also have hope. In the Lord that renewed my strength, even though I had no earthly reason. I, although I was wasting away externally, I was being renewed day by day in the Spirit, right? As we learned last week. That's what people see, and that's what people want. Because we all struggle in the same way. But when they see us start to rise above it, when they see our feet on the solid rock of Christ outside of the muck and mire of the world, they want to stand there too, they want to be elevated. They want to rise above it. And they're going to ask you how. And you're going to have the, re the answer because you just did it, right? You have a heart that loves God and loves others. It's so simple. And we make it so complicated. Allow the Lord to search your heart, to test your thoughts. And please follow him into the way everlasting. Follow his heart for you. Guide and lead your heart. Don't follow it. Don't follow it. Put that leash on it of the word of God and you, you know, you pull that thing around. You let the spirit lead you and guide you. And life is going to be good. It's going to be great. And so we're going to close here in prayer. And actually, you know what? 
It's one thing to preach. It's another thing to practice what you preach. We are going to practice what we preached. And so, Nate, I'm going to call you out in and out of season, right, man? Come on up. And I'm going to have you read this scripture and lead us in prayer through it. And, and again, I don't want these this morning, church, to be just words. I want this to be your heart's cry, your heart's plea as you seek out the Lord. Okay? Um, so it is Psalm 51, 10 to 12, uh, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. Amen. And I want to encourage you, Psalm 51, Psalm 51. Keep saying it over and over, get it in your mind, because I want each and every one of us to, to go to our private prayer closets and to really cry out the way that David did. David didn't just mundanely say those words. He was a broken man. He had done some evil, wicked things. And he knew there was only one solution to the condition of his heart, and that was the Lord. That was the Lord. And so, Jesus, you know the full condition of our hearts better than even we know. Jesus, forgive us for deceiving ourselves and to thinking we're something we're not. Lord, forgive us for doing good works, but for the wrong reasons. And this morning, we are giving you full permission. Jesus, let this be the day of my true salvation. Because today, I am laying my heart at your feet. The core of everything that I am. Jesus, renew my heart. Renew my mind. Give me a steadfast spirit. Holy Spirit, break away the hardness. Draw back in the lust. Lord, do whatever you have to do to create within me a pure heart. And give me in an increasing measure more and more of your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing. Saturate my life with your presence, Lord. And cast out any of those evil, wicked things, Lord, that are still in my life. Things I still hang on to, Lord. I give you permission this morning to strip me away. To strip me bare, Lord. And to create within me something good. So that everybody will see it's not me. It's you. It's not what I have done it is your handiwork that you have done to create this masterpiece. Thank you, Jesus, for never giving up on me, for always pursuing me. And from this day forward, I commit to you that I'm going to pursue you in the same way. Holding on to nothing and letting nothing hold me back, Lord. I'm chasing you, Jesus, with all my heart with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, with everything I am, God, I'm chasing after you in your name. Amen. Amen.